BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Boy, there is a lot going on today, starting out with the uh, debt ceiling and Republican suicide bombers with regard to the debt ceiling. And now we got Manchin and Cinema kind of joining in with regard to the Build Back Better plan, plus the funding the government, which runs out on Thursday. I'll get, I'll get to all that in just a second, but basically the Republicans have become suicide bombers. Are they going to get away with it? We'll see. Also this hour, I want to talk about COVID and disability. COVID is increasingly causing long-term disabilities. And when's the Republican Party going to hear about this and get vaccinated? It's almost completely absent from the media coverage. Everybody talks about death. We'll get into that in detail. Professor Richard Wolf is gonna drop by to talk with us about how the end of cheap money could affect you and me. We have four central banks now around the world that have raised their lending rates, their interest rates, and uh, the US and the UK have said that they're going to. So what does that mean? And also, Judd Legum is gonna drop by for a couple minutes and tell us about the mansion industry, yeah, as in Joe Manchin. But let me dig first right into the issue from today's Hartman report, and that's about the debt ceiling and Republican suicide bombers threatening to blow up America. That's the the title of my piece today at HartmanReport.com. Debt ceiling, Republican suicide bombers threaten America. Mitch McConnell just, just came out and said it, right? You know, the House passed legislation that would have raised the debt ceiling and funded the government till the end of the year, and he just said, no, we're not gonna pass this. Sorry, and we're gonna require 60 votes to pass it. We're gonna filibuster it. And so, uh, you know, it's like now it just, it can't pass uh, and unless it gets turned into reconciliation, you know, which only takes 50 votes. Reconciliation is only for budget bills and in theory can only be done once a year. Well, it turns out that the Democrats are planning on passing the Build Back Better program, the, the so-called three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill. You know, the core of President Biden's entire um, agenda, the the Democrats are planning on passing that through reconciliation. And now you've got Mitch McConnell saying, oh, you thought you were going to use reconciliation for that, huh? Well, I got other plans for you guys, which raises some interesting questions. I mean, you know, if the Republicans are willing to blow, blow themselves up and blow the country up, I mean, we're talking about the possibility for the first time in the history of the United States of defaulting on our debt, which will echo through everything. You think inflation is bad right now? You, you know, just wait until interest rates go up four or five points because the federal government can't sell treasuries anymore. And the full faith and credit of the United States has now been called into question, which, by the way, is a violation of the 14th Amendment. I don't know how this even happens, given the 14th Amendment, but that's kind of a side issue right now nobody's even talking about. But why why is Mitch McConnell doing this? Why is he strapping on this suicide vest and saying he's going to go down in flames, he's going to take the Senate down in flames, and he's going to take the whole country with him? Why would he do that? And, And frankly, there's two, I think, very simple answers to this question. Number one, He's trying to create chaos and confusion because the Democrats are running the government. He's trying to build a case for putting Republicans back in charge of things in 2022 and 2024. 
And for the average American who doesn't even know what reconciliation is, but is looking right now and saying, you know, the Democrats talked a good line, but they can't get anything done. I think maybe I'll go back to the Republicans. Right? I mean, that that's probably 70% of Americans who are, quote, low-information voters, maybe even more. So you've got that, uh, number one. In fact, Mitch McConnell uh, said, there's no chance the Republican Congress conference will go out of our way to help Democrats conserve their time and energy so they can resume ram- ramming through partisan socialism as fast as possible. Right. Which brings us to item number two. They want to make absolutely certain that President Biden's Build Back Better plan, this $3.5 trillion spending plan that would raise taxes on people making over $400,000 a year, not much. It's not going to raise them back to where they were when Trump came into office, but it's going to raise them. And that would raise the corporate minimum tax rate, or the corporate, excuse me, the top corporate tax rate. He just absolutely wants to make sure that doesn't happen. Which, again, back to point number one, has the side benefit of making it look like Democrats are, are just, you know, bumblers. That they can't, they can't make anything correct work. They can't accomplish anything. And who's playing into this right now? <laughs> Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. And a few Democrats like Scott Peters in California and Kurt Schrader here in Oregon in the House of Representatives who are voting against these things. Which really makes it difficult, right? I mean, it really makes it difficult. And Nancy Pelosi is having to juggle all these things, funding the government, at least until December. I mean, again, the government doesn't run January to January like most of us do. The government runs from October 1st to September 31st. Which means the day after tomorrow, the government has no authority to spend money. Which gets very, very uh, dicey, shall we say. I mean, this is the strategy that Newt Gingrich had, had never been used before in the history of the Republic. And Newt Gingrich pioneered this in the 1990s as a way of messing with Bill Clinton. Uh, again, the whole Republican strategy, create chaos, create a mess that the Democrats have to clean up. In a way, you could argue that this is just an extension of the old two Santa Claus theory that Jude Wittinsky came up with back in 1974 which was run up as much debt as possible when there's Republicans in charge and then scream about the debt when there's Democrats in charge. That is very much a piece of this. But then, I don't know if you saw uh, Congressman Ro Khanna on Anderson Cooper. Number one, he mentioned, you know, what I was pitching yesterday, which is, okay, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, you don't like $3.5 trillion? Let's let's reduce this bill down to uh, $1.5 trillion. But let's not take a single thing out of it. Instead, in you know, reducing this, this bill down to $1.5 trillion, let's just fund it for four years so that the 2024 election becomes a referendum on whether we're going to continue to have affordable child care, whether we're going to continue to have uh, universal pre-K, whether we're going to continue to have Medicare covering vision and hearing and dental care, whether we're going to continue to have paid sick leave in the United States like every other developed country, or whether we're, actually every single one of these things is like every other developed country in the world. Whether we're gonna to continue to have child tax credits, which cut childhood poverty in the United States in half this year, and it expires at the end of the year. Whether we're gonna to continue to have tuition or free community college. Whether we're gonna to continue to have uh, some, or whether we're gonna to start to do something about the climate crisis. So do they do that? But as Rokana said, you know, we're saying we being, you know, the, the entire Democratic Party. I mean, his point was this isn't conservative Democrats versus liberal Democrats. This is not half the Democrats against the other half of the Democrats, the way I heard it portrayed this morning on NPR. It's not that at all. This is the entire Democratic Party versus Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema in the Senate and five or six or seven or eight or nine, depending on how you count it and which piece of legislation you're talking about, 
uh, Democrats in the House of Representatives, the, the Kurt Schraders and, and Scott Peterses that I was talking about just a minute ago. And he just broke on it, just, you know, went off on it, you know, on CNN, and he just laid it out. Here it is. Side, as, by the way, is 99% of the Democratic Party. We want to deliver on his message for the working and middle class. That means giving affordable child care to everyone watching. It means seniors are finally going to get dental and hearing aids covered. It means that if you're sick, you're going to get paid leave, and you don't have to go into debt to go to community college. And what we have said is that if there is an agreement that the president strikes on this uh, Build Back Better agenda, we will vote for the bipartisan bill. We're willing to. But then he goes the on to say. Party and Joe Biden versus Kirsten Sem Kristen yeah, Sinema. Yeah, this is the, here is this. Compromise, John, when cinema is not saying anything. And what's mind-boggling is you have unanimity in the House. I, tomorrow the Speaker could get a deal in the House on a number. And I believe you have 48 senators. I believe Senator Manchin would come on board. It's important for people to realize this. This is not progressives versus moderates. This is the entire Democratic Party and Joe Biden versus Kirsten Sem Kristen Sinema. And, and that's it. That's it. That's what's going on. And and uh, and and possibly Joe Manchin, you know, he's a little more optimistic about Joe Manchin than I am. But uh, who knows? Joe Manchin, at least, seems to be trying to respond to the people in his state. They may not vote the way that you and I like. But, you know, hey, uh, but Kirsten Sinema, you know, they keep asking her, what do you want? What do you want us to give you? How do you want us to change the bill? Or what would you like in exchange for voting for this bill? And she keeps saying, oh, apparently. This is the Tom Hartman program. So are they going to get away with it? These Republican suicide bombers that are threatening America, are they going to get away with it? David in North Miami Beach, Florida. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Yes, sir. I've wasted 40 the last years of my life trying to master and teach facts, but we liberals need to come up with our own mythology to fight back against the myths of St. Reagan and the Left Behind books. Um, just like there's now prequels to The Sopranos and Breaking Bad, I don't know, maybe there needs to be a string of prequels to The Andy Griffith Show or... <laughs> All the family to you know how the characters right. you know started out in the post World War II world where you know, things were actually happening mostly through government programs. Uh, someone came up with a joke, a sequel to The Grapes of Wrath, where the white characters have been replaced by blacks and Hispanics because they're off in war or doing you know war efforts. So some right. kind of mythology. Preferably something separate, but that's the starting point. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting. I, I don't think that we need a mythology. I, you know, our actual history, the reason that the Republicans need a mythology is because Reagan never did anything to actually help Americans. He, and he actually raised taxes on average working Americans 18 times. Um, he, the only people he helped was the top 1%, and he did it repeatedly. And, and so they have to invent a mythology about mm -hmm. him to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to basically sell Republicanism and Republican ideology. Um, but on the Democratic side, I don't think we need a mythology. We just need to point out, hey, look at what LBJ did you know, in, in uh, the seven years that he was, or the, the five years, I guess, that he was president. Well, that's why, that's why I call him not Ronald Wilson Reagan, but Ronald Custer Reagan, because I was sort of <laughs> thinking of his role as Custer in the movie Santa Fe Trail. I would settle for a remake of the movie The Court Martial of Billy Mitchell, which is sort of an early version of the more recent The Looming Tower, one predicting... Pearl Harbor, the other predicting 9-11 in both cases, you know, it was too little too late. And even JFK noted, hey, I'm seeing the same problem in the 1960s as we saw before Pearl Harbor. We don't learn. And, of course, history has been canceled. Yeah, but by and large. But what Biden is trying to do governor. right now is he's, yeah. he, he and, 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 you know, it, we'll see how good a job he can do. I mean, the next couple of weeks are going to tell everything. But what Biden was Absolutely. trying to do was simply, you know, do what FDR and LBJ did, which is pr produce some really good, high-quality programs that are going to help average Americans 
that will have, you know, that will create a legacy that, that will, you know, in a lasting way, make America a better and fairer and, and better place to live. And, and, and of course, now Mitch McConnell is throwing everything he can at him to stop that from happening. It, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's the debt ceiling and then it's well, funding the ongoing government. I 2009. I'm sorry? I looked at the calendar and I'm seeing 2009 all over again. I'm, I'm afraid we're just going to yep. have to get another version of the Tea Party and uh, come 20, where Oh, it's know, happening. The new version of the Tea Party is is the right. is the anti-vax movement, uh, the MAGA movement, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the uh, the so-called militias. Um, you know, that's that's the modern day version of it. Uh, David, thank you for the call. It's uh, yeah, stick around. I want to talk a little bit about COVID too. Okay, uh, this is amazing, and I'm, you know, they are actually starting to have conversations now inside the Republican Party about we are killing off our voters. Is that a good thing? Seriously, but they're not just killing them off. I mean, the the other side of that is, oh, but it's only got about a one percent death rate. So out of every hundred uh, Republicans who get COVID, only one of them dies, and so the other ninety-nine, they'll show up and vote. Don't you think? And by the way, this partisan divide has gotten much, much wider. Uh, just a little more than half of Republicans are vaccinated in the United States who are eligible to get vaccinated. Over 90% of Democrats who are eligible to get vaccinated in the United States are vaccinated, which is pretty breathtaking. Now, that, that's just talking about, you know, have at least one dose of the vaccine. The fully vaccinated numbers are lower on both sides. Fully vaccinated, we're only at about 56%. I think we're number 24 in the world. We're certainly not number one. In fact, the countries that are in the top five are pretty much opening back up again. The Netherlands just ended all, virtually all their COVID restrictions. Denmark did two weeks ago, Sweden is. Taiwan has been back to normal for for some time now. Other countries are like, hey, you know, we're all vaccinated, we're good. But in the United States, oh no, we got a problem with the Republicans. But the one thing they're not talking about and I, this troubles me. The media is not talking about this. It's not the you know it's not the Democrats need to be informing Republicans about the dangers of getting COVID. Because see, here's 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 the Republican mythology. If you get COVID, you will you will have lasting immunity. It's like getting chicken chicken pox. You'll have you'll you'll be immune for the rest of your life. Well, first of all, we know that that's not true. COVID is more like the common cold, which is also a coronavirus. You can get it every year. You can get it more than once a year. And, and this is happening. In fact, people who have had COVID are getting it again, and some of them are dying from it. So number one. But that's, that, you know, there, there's that mythology. Oh, it's just, you know, it's no problem. Just, just uh, you know, just get COVID and take your Regeneron that Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott are using, which, by the way, was made with fetal cells. And <laughs> just take your Regeneron and everything will be good. But the problem is that 37% of patients three to six months out after they were infected with the virus are still experiencing long COVID symptoms. 37%. So is it going to be that a third of these Republican voters are going to be too sick to even show up to vote? In which case, are they going to be asking for mail-in ballots? And what's that going to do? You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. So when's the media going to start talking about COVID disability? And will the Republican Party hear it and get vaccinated? What do you think? Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Just to put a punctuation mark on, on this thing about COVID, 37% of people three to six months after infection are experiencing the symptoms of long COVID. That's massive. The most, the, the most common symptoms, they say uh, uh, older people and men are reporting mostly breathing difficulties and cognitive problems, the difficulty thinking, whereas young, which actually might help the Republican Party, I suppose, whereas young people and women had more headaches, abdominal symptoms, and anxiety or depression. And the, the Oxford University professor, Paul Harrison, says, we need to identify the mechanisms underlying these diverse symptoms that can affect survivors. This is a, again, this is a virus the human race has never before seen. We've been on this planet three million years, and we have never encountered this virus, at least to the best, you know, of everybody's knowledge. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Travis in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Travis, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I uh, just wanted to ask a question. Uh, is there any way of investigating or uh, to find out if any Republican money is going to these Democrats that are always ready to block Democrat products like uh, Cinema and Mansion? Well, it's not necessarily specifically Republican money. It's 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 money from the same sources that fund the Republican Party. Um, you know, we well, know they're receiving money. Right, we know that money. we know that Mansion has received massive amounts of money from, uh, in particular, Mylan Pharmaceuticals that his daughter ran, uh, but you know from Big Pharma, and that Mansion gets enormous amounts of money from from fossil fuels, and that he started three coal companies that uh, got consolidated, and his son now runs, but that he made a half million bucks off last year personally. So you know we know that. And, and, and Kirsten Cinema has been, you know, according to Open Secrets, you know, an awful lot of her money is coming from banking and real estate interests. Um, but, you know, who got to her and how or why, I, I just don't know. I, uh, and that's my question. Yeah, that's my question. Yeah, I don't think anybody, you know, for sure knows it's going to be, it, it, you know, the question, here, here's the biggest issue, Travis. If... The Democrats and President Manchin, uh, talk about a Freudian slip there. If the Democrats and President Biden can get something really consequential passed beyond just the emergency legislation that they did in June, which is a pretty big deal, but, you know, that's all expiring now. Um, if they can get something really consequential passed that changes the lives of Americans in noticeable and measurable ways, you know, expanding Medicare. So you've got vision and dental and, and, and uh, you know, things like that or, uh, you know, uh, free preschool or free K, you know, uh, universal pre-K, affordable child care, paid sick leave, um, tax-free community college. If, if they can do those things, that means the Democrats are going to be really, really popular going into the 2022 midterms, and they may even pick up seats in the House and Senate, and that a Democratic candidate, whether it's Joe Manchin, Kamala Harris, or somebody else in 2024, will have a really good chance of winning. On the other hand, if uh, Mitch McConnell and Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin can succeed, and, and you know, Scott Peters and, and uh, 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 you know, our, our, our buddy here, Kurt Schrader here in Oregon, if they can succeed in blocking those kinds of successes, then you're going to see substantial Republican victories in 2022 and you're going and, and and get ready for President Trump in 2024, or if he doesn't make it through, you know, uh, President somebody else, uh, maybe Liz Cheney, or maybe uh, you know Rick Scott, who knows? But that's that's what's at stake here, Travis, and 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 it's it's not being, 
you know, frankly framed this way. And it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Travis, I got to move along, but thank you. It just for the call. Yeah. yeah, it just, it just smelled to me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Sydney in uh, Moore Park, California. Hey, Sydney, what's on your mind today? Oh, thank you so much, uh, Tom, for redefining the chess, the play board and, you know, calling it what it is because only from that place can we create a strategic plan to um, get, you know, either like you say, if if if, if Biden can do, um, you know, the pre-K, I mean, that's easy. You could do the cigarette tax, like just like, uh, you know, in California, we had that before. If we can do all that. But the thing is, I just don't think that Mansion and cinema, especially, are, are true Democrats. I really do believe that they are wolves in sheepskins. And I think that as they are funded by the same pot as Republicans, they're going to start to push more candidates like that. And so that's my concern, is that I just really think if we throw out these seven um, ALEC-funded people or um, and Mansion and cinema and just start fresh, I think that will get like a. I, I could be totally wrong, but I think it, we could unite as progressives and Dems. Well, that's that's going to be up to the primary voters. I, I absolutely get what you're saying, Sydney. And and if I, you know, if this was a normal political year, if this was ten years ago, I would say, yeah, okay. So we've got some obstructionist Democrats. Let's do everything we can to primary them. And uh, of course, in the Senate, Mansion and Cinema are not up for re-election for another three years, but. Um, but let's do everything we can, at least in the House, to primary them and, you know, get some good and, and hope that after the 2022 midterms, we know we can get some mojo going or maybe even after the 2024 election, we can get a better. Pre but these aren't ordinary times. I mean, you've got you've got actual fascists, you know, Rick Scott, Donald Trump, uh, Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, actual fascists, Ted Cruz standing there on the edges, being funded by right-wing billionaires who are actual fascists, who don't believe in the rule of law, who, you know, people like Steve Bannon, who see Hungary. I mean, the, the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, they're going to hold their annual conference next year in Hungary, in Budapest, where, where Viktor Orban did what Donald Trump tried to do. He has, he has completely stacked his courts. He, he has destroyed his political opponents. All of the media in Hungary is now owned by friends of his. All of the major businesses in Hungary are now owned by friends of his. He has become a billionaire himself. Uh, he has become an oligarch. I mean, this is the direction that the Republican Party and the conservative movement is going. And I'm just really concerned, Sydney, uh, you know, not wanting to be a, a, a hysteric or a fear monger, but I'm really concerned that if McConnell and Manchin and Cinema succeed, and 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 Schrader and Peters and you know a few of the other Democrats, if they succeed in taking down Joe Manchin's um, goals, it, or, it, I keep calling him Joe Manchin, Joe Joe Biden's goals. If they succeed in blowing up the Build Back Better initiative, that it is going to so wound the Democrats that the these fascists are just going to dance into power in 2022. And they're going to set up uh, the theft of the election in 2024. That's my fear, Sydney. Wow. Thank you for speaking on this. I mean, you make a great point. Yeah. And thank, okay. you. thank you. I'm honored. And we're working from that point. Thank yeah, you so much. Good talking to you, Sydney. Thank you. Tom in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, what's up? Hey, Tom. Seeing that the uh, filibuster is not in the Constitution and Republicans seem to want to break the rules of the Senate whenever they feel is necessary. Why doesn't Schumer just get up there and just say, I'm nullifying the filibuster, no vote on it, it's over, that's done? Because it would require mansion and cinema. It takes 50 votes to change Senate rules, which is where the filibuster is located. It's in the Senate rules. It takes 50 votes. It can be done well, any time. I mean, you know, when, when, when uh, McConnell wanted to put right-wing crazies on the Supreme Court, uh, the Democrats filibustered it, and so uh, McConnell said, "Okay, that's it. I'm gonna because he was the speaker of or the uh, Senate Majority Leader at the time. He said, "Okay, that's it. We're going to change the Senate rules." He called a vote. He got 50 Republicans to vote to say, "You know, we're going to create an exception to the filibuster for Supreme Court justices." And boom, we got uh, you know we got three right-wing crazies with fewer than 60 votes. I don't think he should even wait for a vote. I think he should just cancel it. No, I'm, what I'm saying is I, I agree with you, Tom. I, you know, the, the filibuster is the great Why, obstacle the to all of this, but you have to have 50 Democratic votes. And, and Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin are both saying, no way am I going to blow up the filibuster. Okay, well, 
you so can't answer do? my question. But if, if it was me, I'd just do a power play and say, screw everybody else. I'm, I'm getting rid of it. I, you know, it takes 50 votes to do that. But what, you know, what conceivably Chuck Schumer, if he was a street fighter, he would be threatening to disembowel these two, you know, politically, to, to, to basically strip them of their committee chairs. And the danger, of course, to that is that they'll say, oh, well, you really, you want to play hardball? See you later. I'm going to caucus with the Republicans. And then all of a sudden, Mitch McConnell is the Senate Majority Leader. I mean, this is, this is like, this is a uh, high wire act, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, dancing, dancing on the high wire here without a net right now is what Pelosi and Schumer are having to do. Um, in large part because of, you know, gerrymandering and because of the fact that the Republicans very strategically back in the 70s decided that they were going to go after low population states and flip them red. And they succeeded in doing that largely through talk radio, actually. But anyhow, that's a whole other topic. Tom, thank you for the call. 45 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's, it's good to talk tough. You have to be able to back it up. We'll see how this plays out. And welcome back. This is just, just to, to, to restate this, just to be very, very clear about what's going on here. Federal funding for federal agencies. You know, you want to keep the parks open? You want to keep the, you know, the social security checks coming? All that stuff? That runs out day after tomorrow. Now, you know, they can move money around for a couple of weeks and still pay some bills and things like that, but it basically runs out day after tomorrow. And that's a crisis. And this is why Chuck Schumer said we can approve this message quickly and send it to the House so it can reach the president's desk before funding expires at midnight tomorrow. But it's going to require, get, it's going to have to get through the Senate. And he sent that over to the Senate. It raised the debt ceiling. It funded the government until December 3rd, I think it was, until December anyway. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of got us past this period of time so that Schumer and the Democrats could go back to discussing things like the Build Back Better plan. And what did Mitch McConnell say? He said, oh, you think you're going to talk about building back better? You think you're going to talk about expanding Medicare? You think you're going to talk about, you know, giving uh, universal pre-K to, to kids in America? No, the billionaires don't want that. They don't want their taxes to go up to pay for helping out the average American. The billionaires who fund Mitch McConnell are saying, no, we don't want any part of this. We think it's socialism. We are not willing to pay taxes to pay for you know, uh, uh, pre-K. We're not willing to pay taxes so that Medicare recipients can get their teeth fixed. The billionaires who fund the Republican Party and a couple of Democrats are saying, you know, no, we're, we're not willing to fund paid sick leave. We're just fine with the United States literally being the only, only developed country in the world where the guy serving your food in the restaurant may have shown up sick to work and might have sneezed flu or tuberculosis or God only knows what all over your food because he or she is afraid to not show up for work because, you know, they can't afford not to. And the billionaires are like, yeah, it's fine with us. We have our own live-in chefs. We don't care if, if uh, you know, people show up to work sick. We own the factories, but we don't have to go in them, after all. I mean, let's just be really clear about what's going on here. You've got a billionaire class that does not want to pay for any of these things that would improve the lives of average Americans. People who live in other developed countries do not fear getting sick. They're not worried that it's going to bankrupt their families. They don't fear their children never getting a decent education or being in their 40s and 50s before they pay off their student debt and can start a family or buy a house. They just don't fear that in other developed countries because it's not the case. Every other developed country has basically free college and, and a national health care system of some kind, 
We don't. Why? Because we've got a bunch of billionaires that the Supreme Court said may own politicians who don't want to pay for it. And, and, and even if they were willing to pay for it, they don't want it to happen because they philosophically oppose it. It's socialism, don't you know? They're too busy reading Milton Friedman, Friedman and Frederick Hayek. Norge's Bank, the Norwegian Central Bank, announced last week that they were raising interest rates a quarter of a point. Usually the Norwegian Bank is not like a big deal, but uh, this was at the top of the Financial Times over the weekend. Uh, Four emerging economy central banks, Pakistan, Hungary, Paraguay, and Brazil, along with Norway, have raised their interest rates. And the U.S. Fed and the Bank of England have both said, yeah, we're thinking about doing the same thing. What does this mean for us? What, is the, what are these grand cycles of interest rates going up and down? And what do they have to do with our average everyday lives? Professor Richard Wolf is on the line with us, the economist, co-founder of democracyatwork.info, the author of numerous books, his most recent, also available as an ebook. The sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. Democracyatwork.info, rdwolf with two fs.com and Prof. Wolf over on Twitter. Professor Wolf, welcome back. What do you think? What is this? What's, what's the deal here? What's going on with this? Well, you know, capitalism is a roller coaster. And now that it's in its old age, the roller coaster is getting even wobblier than it was before. Here's what I mean. We crashed three times in this new century. The dot-com crash in 2000, the subprime mortgage crash in 2008, and the so-called COVID crash that we're still living in. In each case, the Federal Reserve in this country, which is our central bank, did what every other central bank in the world did, try to keep the damage from overwhelming the economy by pouring wild amounts of money, fresh, new, minted money into the economy, stimulating spending every which way they could think of to prevent the economy from crashing. And no more so than in this last one, which is also the worst one uh, of this century. Now there's a problem, which people have been talking about. If you keep pumping up the money, but you don't increase correspondingly the output of goods and services, and that's exactly what's happened, much more increase in money than increase in output, you run a risk. We haven't had to face the risk for the last 10 years or so, but that doesn't mean the risk isn't there. And the risk is simply that all that extra money will begin to chase a not-so-much-increased quantity of goods and services, thereby producing what we call an inflation, a general rise in prices. Now, it didn't happen for a while for all kinds of reasons we could discuss, but starting last year... It began to happen, and it has been happening ever since. Prices of many things in the world are up 10, 20 percent, particularly food around the world, which immediately impacts people. And it's beginning to frighten the governments around the world, because just as the collapse into a recession and depression threatened capitalism uh, in earlier years of this century, an inflation that wipes out the spending power of millions of employees around the world is also a threat to capitalism. So now they want to slow down the rise in prices, and the way they've chosen to do that is by raising interest rates, because that makes people less willing to borrow, therefore less willing to spend or less able to. And the hope is that by people spending less, it will persuade companies not to raise prices since they're already facing a diminution or a decline in what people have uh, can afford to buy. So it's a wobbly system provoking a wobbly government response 
And you should think of the economy as being knocked back and forth like a pendulum uh, in a system that doesn't work real well and is now putting us first on one extreme and now on the other. How do you think this is going to play out? Do you, uh, is, do, do, are you expecting increases, substantial increases in inflation? Or on the other hand, I mean, the, the other danger here is the Fed overplays their hand raises interest rates too far too fast and crashes the economy again, throws us into a recession. Right. You know, for the last 20 years, the fear has been that the Fed wouldn't step in with enough to prevent us from collapsing. Now the fear is they spent, they intervened so much that now it may wobble the other way. My, my sense is I don't have confidence in the Federal Reserve. They didn't see these three crashes coming. They didn't prepare us as a nation. They throw huge amounts of money in, hoping with crossed fingers that it all works out. I have no confidence and no reason to have confidence that they're going to be able to stop the inflation in the first place, since it has many causes, not just the quantity of money. And what the Fed can do is always limited. So I'm not so clear that they can slow or stop the inflation. And at the same time, I'm not clear that they won't overplay their hand. They themselves are now in a debate as to whether they overdid it with pumping money in, whether there weren't other ways they could have and should have dealt with the, the, the tendency towards a depression that we've just gone through. So I think what you're seeing is an unstable economy being managed by people who hope that what they do will make some difference, but that's all there is, is some hope, no guarantee, and the pretense that you see from them about how we have it all under control. I mean, if we had had it under control, I wouldn't be telling you about three major crashes in the early 20 years of this new century, because that wasn't what was anybody's desire. That was something that this system did to itself. Right, right. Um, speaking of the system, I, I, I published a piece on Monday, and I, I know we shared it with you about how basically, you know, all the media is referring to Angela Merkel, who has just, you know, stepped down after 16 years of running Germany as a conservative. And, and you know, I could build a case that she is, at least in terms of monetary policy, Germany has a surplus uh, in terms of embracing neoliberalism in many ways. but. You know, in terms of American political discourse, we've got a political party or political party. I, mean, I guess the point of it is all these countries have free health care, free education, you know, multiple weeks of paid uh, vacations, uh, paid employee sick days, uh, it just, uh, this, uh, you know, free paid pre-K. I mean, this is the stuff that, that, you know, some of it is the stuff that is Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan. And it's being characterized in America as wild, lefty, socialism, Bernie Sanders stuff. And it's been law in Germany for 40 years. I mean, your thoughts on how we label yeah. these things. It, it's an amazing thing. I, all my life, I've, you know, I've been a professor of economics all my adult life. I give lectures. I talk about what Europe's uh, social programs are. And the, my students, for the last 40 years, their mouths drop open. They can't quite believe it when I go through it and explain to them that in Germany, for example, uh, tuition and fees at all universities are zero. There are no tuition and fees. Higher education in Germany is free. By the way, not just for German citizens, for everyone. Yes, they have five weeks of paid vacation. Yes, on top of that, they have a dozen paid holidays. Yes, everybody gets medical care insurance from the day they're born to the day they die. Whether they're employed or not makes no difference. It's a right that you get. Uh, for those that are interested, abortion by this German conservative, so-called, is basically available to everybody at no cost provided by the government, etc., etc., etc. So by American standards, Angela Merkel would be, an, you're right, a Bernie Sanders or further to the left than that. And here's the irony about the elections over the last weekend, and I think it's very important that Americans learn this. Not only was she pushed out, Angela Merkel, but she was pushed out by people that are to her left in Germany. Right. SPD is the Socialist 
party of the German word for Germany is Deutschland. So SPD is the Socialist Party of Germany that beat her in this election. But even more important than that, Tom, is the referendum that passed 56% to 39% in the city of Berlin, the capital. Here's what that referendum was for, that the government of Berlin would nationalize all apartments in Germany that are owned by landlords who have more than a thousand uh, apartments. This covers about a quarter of a million apartments, 240,000 to be correct in German, in Berlin, that will now be purchased by the city in order to provide, get ready now, low-rent, affordable housing so that the city of Berlin doesn't get gentrified uh, to be out of reach of the vast majority of the German citizens. It's a non-binding referendum in the sense that now uh, there has to be negotiation about how to implement, but the 56 to 39 percent is a much larger percentage than voted for the new government. So the, the mass of the people voted in a massive show. They want public housing. They don't want private housing. They want affordable rents. And they are going to use what we call in America the, the law of eminent domain, the right for the community to take property when it's in the social interest of the community as a whole. It's an amazing achievement in Berlin and deserves the, the publicity it has not gotten. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Professor Richard Wolf. Always great talking with you. Thanks for dropping by today. Okay, Tom. Great having you with us. And Professor Wolf's website, democracyork.info. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tom Harbin here with you, and on the line with us is Judd Legum, the journalist and founder of Popular.info, a newsletter that I subscribe to and have for quite some time, encourage you to as well. His Twitter handle, Judd Legum, J-U-D-D-L-E-G-U-M. And uh, Judd, you had a recent piece about the, uh, the Joe Manchin industry, essentially. Tell us about this. Yeah, well, what I did, Tom, was uh, I took a look at um, Joe Manchin's former staffers and what they're doing. And the reason why this is so important is that, in addition to everything else that you hear a lot about Joe Manchin in the news, he, as the chairman of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, is going to be responsible for shaping the climate provisions in the reconciliation package that's currently before Congress. And yet he we started like six or eight fossil fuel companies or something. Isn't this sort of like putting the does. fox in charge of the chicken committee? It, 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 it is. I mean, he, he did start, I believe, three coal companies. A couple of them have been merged together. Mm -hmm. um, they're now run by his son. He maintains uh, an ownership interest and receives dividends from those um from those companies so he obviously he has an interest in in the continued use of coal and you know you 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 have to understand that he is from west virginia so probably any senator from west virginia is going to have some allegiance uh to coal but um this is this is a personal financial interest as well as well 
but going back to the um, going back to the staffers, you know, took a look at three of his chiefs of staff, uh, communications director, uh, other uh, top former staffers, and many of them have now become lobbyists. They are lobbying on behalf of the fossil fuel industry, and they're very open about the fact that they remain in contact uh, with Joe Manchin. In fact, uh, one of the people that I uh, profiled, uh, Jonathan Knott, who was Manchin's communications director uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, Manchin was quoted uh, in his in his in the announcement announcing that he was going to this um, firm and saying how excited he is that uh, his former staffer is now going to be a lobbyist. About a month after that press release was out, um, he that staffer Jonathan Cott uh, signed uh, was added to a contract with the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. So. Uh, you know, you can see how uh, essentially these staffers are are trading their connections with Manchin uh, for fairly lucrative positions in the lobbying industry, and then are now going to use um, those connections to to shape what what potentially could be the most significant climate legislation that uh, we'll have the opportunity uh, to see in some time. So to just kind of restate the web here, essentially. While Joe Manchin himself has started a couple of coal companies, his son runs them, he still makes a half million bucks a year in dividends, um, you know, and his state, of course, is big on coal and natural gas. Um, while he himself is the chairman of the committee in the Senate that is going to write the climate legislation, uh, is th this is for the big reconciliation bill, right? That's right. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, a central component of it. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on with taxes and health care and everything else, but climate's a part of it. Right, right. So he's going to be doing that. But beyond that, there's a bunch of people who used to work on his staff who are deeply embedded in the fossil fuel industry now as lobbyists. And they're not lobbying Joe Manchin. They're lobbying Steve Daines and John Tester and John, I mean, not to, I'm just picking random names here, but, you know, the, the so-called moderates of the Senate, presumably, as well as all the Republicans, um, to go along with fossil fuel programs that will continue the profits of the industry, presumably? Yeah, and I think, I think also just leveraging their connections with Joe Manchin to give the fossil fuel industry an insight into his thinking, what's at play, what's not at play, that's just not available uh, to, to the general public. So it essentially, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are at issue here, um, the the tax subsidies that the fossil fuel companies get, but also, um, you know, the the proposed uh, transition from you know coal and other polluting sources to clean energy sources, and the open question is, you know, how aggressive will that be? Um, and you know, you do have a, a effectively a web of conflicts that's tilting the playing field uh, toward the fossil fuel industry at this uh, very critical time. So what do we do with this information, Judd? Well, I guess you, you could crawl under your blanket and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and wait for wait for another Not an day. option. Um, <laughs> no, but I think it's important that people, people understand it uh, because the more um, scrutiny that's on uh, Joe Manchin and and really the whole you know the the all the Democrats in the Senate because it's not just Manchin there's also um, a number of other senators who are, who are raising questions and and seeking to pare back um, this bill the more scrutiny that they're under um, the less free they they'll feel to do you know the bidding of the, of the industry um, and, and I think that's what's um, yeah I think that I think that is important yeah yeah. Um, do, do you see do you see any possibility that this actually let me put this in a larger frame you know typically you know in the old LBJ era um, when he was putting together the legislation he'd say okay we got this core thing that we want to do uh, you know we want, we want to pass the great society we want to have Medicare as a part of it 
Um, but he's got some senator who's not all that excited about Medicare. So he'd go to him and say, what do you want? And that senator would say, oh, I want a new bridge in my in my, uh, you know, in my uh, uh, town with my name on it. Okay, fine, we can give you that. And so basically what they would do is they would put together, you know, large legislation pieces that had, you know, what you might call pork in it, um, but it was like gifts to various people. It seems like this process right now for this reconciliation package is, as a consequence of how politics have changed, particularly since Citizens United as a result of the Supreme Court, is moving in the opposite direction. And that is to say, we have a whole bunch of pieces of legislation that are being thrown together into this bill, all of which have constituencies, but all of which have clear enemies. And it's like, you know, okay, we're gonna lower drug prices. Well, that's gonna bring out the pharma, you know, the, the, the largest, most aggressive, well-paid uh, lobbying group in, in Washington, D.C., I believe. Uh, we're gonna do something about climate change. That brings out the fossil fuel industries. Um, you know, we're gonna do something about low-income housing. That brings out Jared Kushner and all the slumlords. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know how to change that dynamic. Do you think that that's an accurate description of how things have changed in the last 50 years from the way lobbying and, and legislation being made uh, has, used to be versus how it is now. And that might be why, in large part, for the last 20 years, we really haven't seen any substantial legislation that benefits the people, just big things that benefit corporations. I do think that that's largely accurate. And I think the problem is, is that there are a number of problems with the status quo. Um, you know, whether it's drug prices, whether it's, you know, the, the power of the fossil fuel industry. And there's a lot of but there's a lot of people who are benefiting, you know, quite quite richly from the status quo. And they're going to fight tooth and nail um, to prevent any kind of change. I do still think that there is an opportunity. It doesn't seem like this whole package is going to stick together. But ultimately, you know, Democrats are in control of, of the House, the Senate and the White House. And, you know, Biden has a has a role. Um, the Senate leadership has a role. The House leadership has a role. They can they can set priorities um, and insist things. You know, ultimately, you know, Manchin gets to shape this bill as as the chairman of the um, of the Energy Committee. But we saw in the House, you know, they stripped out those um, those uh, drug pricing provisions mm -hmm. really at the at the behest of the industry. But Nancy Pelosi put them back in, you know, for when when right. when they advance the bill to the floor. So I think there are ways for for the le for leadership to stand up and really insist on what's important. And I, 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 I anticipate that these climate provisions will be part of that. Right. It's, it's like we're down to the point where that one constituency that should be the most important, what the people want, uh, you know, it's been 20, 30 years since that has been seriously considered. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going back toward that. But boy, is the resistance serious. Judd Legum, uh, popular.info is the newsletter. Check it out and subscribe. It's free. You, you can sign up right now. Judd, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Tom. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Karen in Cleveland, Ohio. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Kirsten Cinema. Mm -hmm. She's got to see the writing on the wall at this point that she's not going to be reelected in Arizona. So I think she's she's putting her money in in pharmacy and that they're going to give her or somebody's going to give her a very cushy job. And the unfortunate effect of that is that I don't think there's anything that, that President Biden or anybody can do to bring her down on the side of the people of Arizona. Yeah, if she's looking at the possibility of having a, a job as, as a member of the board of directors of some giant pharma company with an annual salary of four million bucks for the rest of her life. I mean, who could argue with that? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, if that's your goal, and, and apparently she grew right. up in poverty, and that may well be a goal, you know, financial security. Which is unfortunate for the race that we're in right now. I mean, right. we need her. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate for the Democratic Party. It's unfortunate for the United States. I'm with you. Karen, thank you. It's an excellent point. Thank you for calling and making it. Pete in Morris, Illinois. Hey, Pete, what's up? Hey, Tom. Maybe I'm, I don't know, naive, but uh, we've already established that Cinnamon Mansion take money from big money donors because they can. 
Sure. What's to say that a Democratic big money donor can't do the same thing to buy them back? Yeah, raise the stakes. It's conceivable, but I think it's unlikely. Well, I mean, they're allowed to do it. How come we're not allowed to do it? That's that's my point. Right. You know, well, I mean, why don't we just beat them at their own game? Because it doesn't seem like you're going to be able to coerce them to come to the light, so to speak. Yeah. Um, well, Mansion actually, know, I mean, you know, his, he started three coal companies in West Virginia that his son now runs. And, and he made a half million bucks last year just in dividends from one of those coal companies that his son is running. So it's a little more. And right. Mansion is very wealthy to begin with. Um, you know, he, he had the biggest, fanciest boat at the Capitol Yacht Club when I was, when Louise and I lived there. Um, and but you, you know, like you, you've said, in the, I mean, avarice, right? I mean, it, yeah. this, it, more is always better, and they can't ever get enough. Greed has no, so, yeah, no limits. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's right. conceivable. So why, why don't we but, just buy him back? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I suppose there are a few people who have the resources to do that, but whether they would be... Uh, I, you know, I, I just, I think, I think there's too much water over that bridge or, you know, pick your terrible cliche. I'm sorry about that, Pete. Pete, thank you for the call. I, 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 I understand the sentiment. We're all grasping at straws here, basically. Let's, uh, let's see what Schumer and Pelosi and, and President Biden, President Biden decided not to go to Chicago today. He was supposed to be in Chicago, but instead he's going to have lunch with Kirsten Cinema. Let's see what comes out of it. We live in interesting times, my friends. We really, truly do. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around. See you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.